0: Well, good morning, Oakwood. How are you this morning? Everybody's like, his voice sounds different. Okay, so let me just get the uh, elephant out of the room this morning, okay? So Wednesday, I started losing my voice, and I thought it would be better by Sunday, so I didn't hand anything off, and uh, here I am. So uh, yeah, I've been going on several days. If you're concerned about COVID, I had it in January. I still have the antibodies, so I'm good. So don't know what it is, my something on my vocal cords, but so I don't want that to be a distraction this morning. I really don't, and I've been praying about that. So praying that for you. So I just wanted to get that out at the beginning. Is my voice sounds a little bit different, and I have extra equipment today, like hot tea, which I don't even like tea. So, but we're gonna get through it. It's gonna be good, and I just don't want to distract from what God wants from us today. Um, as we start a new series today called "Jesus Is for Everyone." Jesus is for everyone. I think this is really going to challenge us and be really good as we go into Easter season. And um, as, as we're coming up just in the next few weeks, it's just an exciting time. And uh, it's good to see uh, so many people here this morning and so many people back from spring break and all that stuff. And so I just trust that uh, you were blessed this morning by our worship. Uh, just a great time of worship this morning. So uh, before we get into it this morning, I want to just... Uh, tell you that this is really a series about the Great Commission and our marching orders as Christians. What we get from the Lord God Almighty that is to be our mission, to be the forefront of our minds, what we are supposed to be doing as Christians. We get those marching orders from Matthew chapter 28. Verses 19 and 20. It's called the Great Commission. Uh, We keep this out in front of our church all the time. If you've never memorized this, I encourage you to memorize this uh, scripture because it is our marching orders directly from Jesus Christ. Right before Jesus Christ ascends into heaven, some of his parting words are these Matthew 28 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Our marching orders as Christians. You could simplify that and just break it down and say it's to make disciples. And then Jesus gives us the how. He says, go, make disciples. Baptize them, showing that they've given their life and their faith to Jesus Christ. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, even this command about the Great Commission. It was a year ago this week. Think about it. This week, last year, everything went on lockdown. The class of 2020 went on spring break, a spring break that would last forever. Seriously, they never went back to school. You can ask my daughter. She still has not been back to Enid High since spring break of last year. Things changed in our world, didn't they? Things changed a lot. We were were told to separate and physically distance, and sometimes if you were exposed to something, you had to quarantine. You're you're, you're to be wearing a a, a mask and try try to cover yourself that way and keep this physical distance between you and everybody around you. Sometimes you were in, in, in lockdown for weeks because you'd been exposed and then somebody in your family was exposed. And it just seemed like the world changed. And maybe, maybe it offered us an excuse for not doing Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Maybe, maybe the church gets to take a break. Maybe Christians, they get an off season, right? I mean, pandemic going on. But when I read the Great Commission there, I don't see any qualifiers. It didn't say, hey, go make disciples except when there's a pandemic going on. Then you need to stop, put the brakes on that movement. One thing that was cool about last year, if you remember, when we were even on lockdown, we were trying to figure out ways to baptize people. Do you remember that? Some of our earliest videos of church services when we were broadcasting online and we were hardly live. We were recording those on Thursdays. To have time to edit and put it together. And you know, we were figuring things out. Rusty had been here like four days, and it was like, get online. And Rusty, I hope you know what you're doing. Get on, get us online tomorrow. But in spite of all of that, God was still moving, God was still working, and things were still happening for the kingdom of God. And so for some, this command to make disciples, it was still happening. It was still being obeyed. It was still being carried out. But then for many of us, maybe it's just an excuse. But then maybe for many of us, if we're being honest, we weren't really doing the Great Commission before. (laughs) It's something for us to consider. Because when you look at the book of Acts, and you look at the early church, and you look at how that early church grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. I mean, there's times it's recorded um, in the the book of Acts where it says that 3,000 people came to the Lord all at once. I mean, imagine how long that baptism ceremony was, right? And, And yet, it's just like the gospel and the Great Commission and the marching orders and the mission of Christ Jesus was carried on. And you see it throughout the book of Acts. You see it throughout the epistles. And you see people like the Apostle Paul and and, and one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, and, and, and James, and different ones that wrote the New Testament, always having this heart and this passion for the gospel. A reminder to us that Jesus is for everyone. And his plan to save the world was to do it through his people. To do it through them sharing their faith in a powerful testimony. The fact is, we're called to obey God. We're called to obey Godness. That's where I want to begin this morning. Obedience matters to God, it shows our loyalty to his kingdom and mission. Obedience matters to God. When Jesus says, Hey, I want you to go and make disciples, then we are called to obey that passage of Scripture. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 15, it says this. Jesus was telling the disciples this, or Jesus' words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. Later in the New Testament, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17, it says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If you know these good works that are given to us in Scripture, and you, you know what you need to do. I mean, this brings up that whole, that whole conversation about sin, right? I mean, there's the sins of commission, and then there's the sins of omission. Sins of commission would be like breaking the commandments. We just had a whole series on that. You know, if, if you commit adultery or you use the Lord's name in vain, those are sins of commission because you did something. But then I think maybe many more times, for some of us who so would call ourselves Christians, you know, identify, you know, I'm here every Sunday, and I'm, I'm a good Christian. I'm even a church member. I even serve. I give. That we sometimes still can find ourselves slipping this track of this trap of sins of omission. Would you consider that with me this morning? That if you don't make disciples for him that knows the good he should do and does not do it, it is sin. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, the Son of God says. I think so many times we just get caught up, you know, in not sinning sometimes. You know, it's like, hey, I just want you to know, I don't cuss, drink, smoke, chew, go out with people who do. Right? And people like that, and I like to tout that, you know, cuss, smoke, drink, chew. But my question would be, and maybe God's question would be, but what do you do for the gospel? Because it's one thing to say, oh, I don't do all of these things. It's another thing to say, but you don't do jack for the kingdom of God. You don't do jack for the gospel. Who is your one? Who's the person that you're sharing with right now? Who's that lost person that needs to hear from God and needs the salvation that you claim to make disciples? Because I think sometimes people with their circumstances and situations in life, they need some good news. That's what gospel means, is, is good news. It's good news about Jesus. And so we're called to go and share. And that word go, in, in, in Matthew 28, 19, when he says go, it actually means as you go along your way. It means like as you go to work and as you go to the soccer field and as you go to school, as you go along your way, make disciples. How? We baptize them, and we teach them to obey everything that he's commanded us. And if you think about it, and you make a disciple, and you baptize them, and you teach them to obey everything he's commanded us, and then you make another disciple, do you see the pattern? This is God's plan to save the world. It was through Christians who would actually take serious the Great Commission and not make it the great omission. Because there's power in the invitation to come to Christ. There's power in the invitation to let God come into your situation and come into your circumstances and to change your life, to change your eternal destination forever. Do we understand how important this is? And yet we've had a good excuse this year. Pandemics hit, right? I mean, do you invite people to church in a pandemic? The CDC says, you know, church service is one of the super spreader events, you know. Stay six feet apart. Well, this week, stay three feet apart. Um, You know, we're learning as we go, right? We've had a good excuse this year. But again, there's no qualifiers. They didn't say, hey, take a year off if things don't go well. Hey, if the economy's bad, don't share your faith. Hey, if there's some circumstance in your life, there's no qualifier. It just says to make disciples. There's been a lot written about this in the last several months, and especially just in the last few weeks. I was reading a lot of articles, and I was reflecting on this as I was preparing this series, and, and I thought, you know, we've learned some things after one year of a pandemic. We've learned some things. Here's some things we've learned after one year of a pandemic. Would you consider these with me this morning? You know, we had taken congregational gathering and fellowship for granted. I think we just assumed it's going to happen every week, just like it always has. It's always going to be there for us until you get locked down. If you remember, a year ago this week, that's what it was like. What did we do? You know, we all started buying puzzles, right? Then two weeks, you couldn't buy a puzzle on the face of the earth. It's a lot of things like that. Toilet paper, you know? I mean, you know, that wasn't even part of the symptoms, uh, but everybody wanted them some toilet paper and lots of it. You know, I had a neighbor that was like doing black market sales outside of their house. I mean, they were, I don't know where they'd gone, but they were like bringing out these 48 packs of toilet paper, selling them on the black market. People coming by all hours of the day and night, picking up toilet paper from this house. I'm like, what is going on? It's weird. And it could be a good excuse. One of the things... I think we took for granted is the church will always be there and services will be like they always have been, and yet we're all online. And for a period of time we all had to, to be online. We weren't even really coming to the church building except on Thursday afternoons to record a service that we would broadcast on Sunday. We need to make sure that we don't take the gathering for granted. Another thing I think we learned from the pandemic is that our world is really small and connected. We live in a very small and connected world. There's a virus that came out of a place called Wuhan, China. Has anyone been to Wuhan, China? Anyone? I would ask this first service. Okay. Not not very many of you. Okay. And you think about that. It's all the way around the world. As this little, if you look at our map, it's this little province like in the thick of China, and yet, it's amazing how it just took a couple weeks, right? Really, truly, about 10 days to make itself around the world. We live in a small, connected world, and I wondered, could the gospel be spread that way? What if the gospel went viral? What if people started sharing their faith? We live in a small and connected world, and I'm not trying to make light of a pandemic, trust me. But, what if the gospel spread through this small and very connected world. Because people are sharing their faith. Because people are interjecting truth. Another thing I think we've learned in the past year of a pandemic is that there's something special about a congregation meeting and singing praises together. I think there's just something something special about that. I was, I was talking to... Uh, Somebody a couple weeks ago, and um, they were at church, and uh, it was during the was after the auction, and we were talking, and he said, you know, Eric, uh, this is the second time I've been at church at the building in a year. I was like, really? When was the first time? He said, last June. We came once in June. I was like, well, why haven't you been back? And he's like, well, we, we watch online. You know, we really do. Most of the time, we, we catch it online. I said, well, that's good. to stay connected that way. and and he goes, but man, being here today and being in the service, he goes, you, it just feels different when people come together and everybody's just singing their hearts out. And there's just something special. I just feel like the spirit of God more this morning. And, you know, it raised some questions for me. I said, when you're watching online for months and months and months and months, I was like, you know, do you, like when we sing and, and Rusty says, hey, stand up and sing, did, did you, did you stand up and sing like you and your, your family and? He's like, no. He goes, we may have tried that one time, but it's pretty awkward. I said, isn't that that funny how it's not awkward in the sanctuary, but it's awkward in our living room? And I said, did you actually sing? Like, like, did you sing the songs and the praise songs? And he's like, no, we probably just watched most of the time. I said, that's my concern. Because worship is to be active, not passive. The pandemic has put some wedges there has given us some reasons to not invite people to church because it's scary. We just don't know if it's something that we should do. These marching orders didn't change, though, so we're going to have to be creative in how we do that. We've been creative online. We've been creative online with Wednesday night groups. I know Youth Group was online for a while. I know that there's several of our groups our classes found ways to meet and now that we're kind of thawing out from all of this, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get overwhelmed with all the bad news, right? I mean, there's, there's just bad news after bad news after bad news. Sometimes I, I want some, some good news. So it was a year ago, I think it was on March the 30th, I believe, I actually got invited as a pastor to be on a Zoom call with Governor Stitt here in Oklahoma. There's about 500 pastors from churches all across the state. They were in the Zoom meeting with him. I remember we were praying for him. He was praying for us, uh, which was awesome to have a governor do that. And and he was telling us how important the church is going to be in in the weeks and in the months to come. One of the things he offered us at the end of that uh, phone call was to give them our email address and we would subscribe to all the latest statistical data which would help us navigate congregational meetings. You know, when we could meet and when we could not meet, Because he said, you know, my heart is, I don't want to shut down the church. We need the church now more than ever. And we're going to need some contact. We're going to need to be together. He said, so I subscribe to this email. And every weekday at 11.05, I get an email from the Oklahoma State Department of Health. And what's amazing, I just want to give praise and glory to God, is how far we've come. Look at some of this data I just got this week in the email. The chart there on the left is our seven-day rolling average for Oklahoma. And you can see it, maybe you can see it looks like fine print, but it starts in, in, in March and April stays pretty low. And then you get to July and it spikes and it comes back down in August, September. And then really in October it starts to just creep up. But then, man, that November, November, about the third week of November just spikes up. You can just see it climb over 3,000, 3,200 cases a day. And then you see it kind of go up and down, into and December to January. The highest dot on there is actually January the eighth. I don't know what was special about January eighth. That was our highest seven-day rolling average for this whole time, it was January eighth. Almost four thousand new cases. And then I don't know. God just decided to heal us, give us herd immunity, whatever you know, whatever, whatever the you know, whatever you want to consider what it is. But we have just been in a plummet. If you go down to the bottom dot of where we're at today, we're at the same levels we were in June. You remember June of last year when you were like, I haven't ever, I don't know anybody that's got it yet. And then about that week, you're like, oh, I did find out one person that had it, you know. Our rolling seven day average is like 200 some odd cases a day, 238 or something like that. It's like, wow. You remember, you remember when the virus first started and their whole thing was uh, bend the curve, right? What was weird about that, if you look at the next one, is there was no curve to bend because no one had it. You know, it's like, hey, help us bend the curve, right? Well, you can see the curve's bending now. Praise God, right? The next slide is a hospital tears report for Oklahoma from this week. It's all done, broke down by region, and we're in the northwest region. We're the top one on there. Uh, Man, all of that was orange at one time. Seriously, the whole screen was orange by the last week of December, early January, January. In fact, one day, Oklahoma City, which is I think the one at the bottom, was actually red. It's amazing how far that's come down to the point that I've even heard from a couple nurses that they're shutting down the COVID wings, the COVID floors in hospitals because you know it's hard to keep a whole wing for two patients. Praise God that's happened. We're learning how to treat this better. We're learning how to how to how to uh, work through medicines and different things and prevention. And then this last one is just. Uh, Categorically, that same, uh, what they broke down, the tears report, uh, is this is the state. That used to be all orange, and now it went from orange to, to yellow for a few weeks, and now it's green. And Man, just give praise and glory to God for how far he has brought us, right? right. And I show, I show you that, hopefully, to be an encouragement to you, too, because I know sometimes out in the world we get all the bad news. I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, in, in part of this report, I didn't show you all the slides that I get, but uh, part of it is the, there's the state you know, death toll, which is around 4,700 for the state. And then the CDC put in a, pro, a provisional death toll this week that upped it by like 3,000. And so I know it's easy to get depressed. It's easy to get down. It's just bad news, bad news, bad news. But remember, we are a people of God. We are a people of the gospel And the gospel is truth. And the gospel is good news for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And I think it's a time where as things are starting to thaw, as things are starting to get better, and I know that many of you have either had the virus or you've had the vaccine now, you've had that opportunity, that maybe it's a good time to start having gospel conversations with people. Maybe even it's a good time to invite some people back to church. First service this morning, we were up in attendance there, but there's still plenty of room. You could space out by about 50 feet if you wanted to. So I just hope that's an encouragement to you. You know, as, as we were looking through this, and, and, and I've been reading several blogs, you know, uh, I was reading this blog that, that this was actually from a year ago, okay? So think pre-pandemic, don't, don't think about this year, think about pre-pandemic. But uh, the blog and several of the people were talking about, there's all these comments on it from pastors, why churches are not doing well with the Great Commission mission today. Why we're not doing well with the Great Commission mission today today one of the reasons is that church members are not being intentionally relational with those who are not in church for those that are not attending a church or who are in a church we're not being relationally intentional so many times as christians i think it's easy to cocoon ourselves right we're here with our christian friends we like hanging out with our christian friends and we love our christian friends and that's all we know is our christian friends and that's good and we should hang out with our christian brothers and sisters in christ we should do those things don't get me wrong, I want you to have fellowship with one another, and I want it to be koinonia. I want it to be a deep, meaningful, sweet type of fellowship that we have. But how do you do the Great Commission if you have no relationship with anyone outside of the church? If those are your people, the church people, and you don't have a relationship with anyone outside of the church, how can you make disciples that are already made? We need to be relationally intentional. We need to make some friends that don't go to church. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's some people across you. Maybe it's somebody on your soccer team, your baseball team. But be intentionally relational with people that are different than you, that people don't, don't believe the same as you, and for people that do not attend church. Another reason why churches are not doing well, so well with the Great Commission Day is that church members are not regularly inviting people to church services or ministry opportunities. We we, we try to make this so easy here at Oakwood. When you got a bulletin when you came in today, this probably fell out because you're like, oh, there's something in the bulletin today. This is what we call, it's real simple, it's an invite card. This is our way as your church staff to try to remove an obstacle. You want to invite them to, hey, let's go on a hayride that goes through the resurrection story and an Easter egg hunt a day before Easter. We call it Easter extravaganza. And you're like, yeah, I want to invite people. I don't know when to say, I don't know what time is it that day. Is it the morning, afternoon? All of those barriers, all that you need to know are right here on this card. One side of the card talks about Easter extravaganza. Our outreach is happening in just a couple weeks. Tells them the times, tells them what it is gives them the times, the date, the website. It's all right here. It's easy to invite someone and to say, come to Easter extravaganza. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to make some good family memories for you. There's even this hayride that's going to go through the scenes of the life of Jesus Christ so you remember the real meaning of Easter. It's going to be really meaningful. It's going to be awesome. Invite people to be a part of that. And all the information right here. And on the flip side of it, it just says Easter at Oakwood. You're invited. Come, come Sunday, 9 and 10, 30. We're also having a really cool service on Friday night. It's called a tenebrae service. Tenebrae is a Latin word, which means ending in darkness. We're going to do something really unique. This year, it's going to be great, a great reflective time on the sacrifice of Jesus. We invite you to come. We invite the community to come. Friday night, 7 p.m. And all that information is on here. And so this kind of removes that obstacle of I can't tell them all this information. Just put this in their hands and say, you know what? I want to invite you to come to services on Easter. Come check out Tenebrae, come to Easter extravagant, whatever works for your family's schedule. And I'll even meet you at the door. Man, um, we're a donut church. We've got donuts on Sunday morning. We'll buy extras for Easter, got some coffee. And, and I just really think Jesus could make a difference in your life and he's made a big difference in mine. And, and would you come and be our guest on Easter? Hand him the card. Church members are just not regularly inviting people It affects the Great Commission. Many church members haven't learned how to share their faith, and they don't really care to. I could preach a whole sermon series on that. I won't. It hurts, but it's the truth. Some of us, you know, we get caught up in, oh, I just don't know what words to say. Do you not think God can work in spite of your words? in spite of your imperfect invitation for someone, in spite of you sharing what God's done in your life and the meaning he has in your life? Do you not think God can work in spite of that? God works in spite of me every week, (laughs) even if I have a voice that sounds like I'm going through puberty or something. God works in spite of all of the excuses and all of the circumstances you could give him. And what's unique about you is you have a circle of relationships that only you have. Sometimes, literally, you're the only Jesus that people will ever be exposed to. You're it. You feel pressure? Good. Eternity hangs in the balance. Would you please step up and answer the call? To Christ and make disciples and remember that Jesus is for everyone The last reason why the church is not doing well with the great commission mission is that many church members fail to act like Christians outside of church and on social media I know we're sinners saved by grace but we're also called to be holy and righteous Jesus came to save us from sins, and scripture says to purify us from all unrighteousness. And that holy living is possible through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the power of His Holy Spirit to convict us and to show us things in our life that need to change. Like so many Christians are like, well, I got my foot in the door. I made a decision for Christ, and I was baptized. But that's not where the Great Commission stops. The Great Commission says, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everything that Jesus commanded us to do, to love one another, to serve one another, to be a righteous person. Our main passage this morning is found in Luke 15. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn there. And if you've been following along in the app and the sermon notes, you know that's the next passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is Luke chapter 15 but before we get there i want to explain what's just happened in luke 14 because it's interesting of how uh, it jumps from 14 to 15 and remember all the chapter verses and 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 subheadings and chapter numbers in scripture were put in by man as a reference point so we could say hey turn to luke 15 everybody could find it you weren't just like turn to the gospel of luke and somewhere in the middle of it we find this you know but in Luke 14, Jesus was at the height of popularity. He, he was, he, I mean, scholars say that thousands of people were following Jesus. And they were following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. They were following him because, hey, if you follow Jesus, you might, you might see a miracle. I heard he makes blind men see, and lame men walk. I even heard that maybe, maybe he's even, you know, it's been the, he might be able to raise the dead. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I heard is sometimes he gives you a free lunch. One time he fed 5,000 people. And that was just counting the dads. That was counting the women and children that were there. Most scholars believe it was like 20,000 people. Jesus was kind of like the fad, you know? It's kind of like, go see Jesus, you know? And so people did it. In Luke 14, it records teachings of Jesus. Until you get down to about, I think it's around verse 25 of Luke 14, Jesus puts down some hard truths about following him. And you almost feel like, gosh, Jesus, it's a little harsh, isn't it? You know, like you're trying to thin the crowd here. or What's going on? And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a true follower of me, then you need to hate your mother and father. You need to hate your sister and brother. You need to hate even your own life or you cannot be my disciple. I'm like, wow, what does that mean? So I thought Jesus said love one another, love your neighbor, and didn't he say love your enemies? So why are we gonna hate on our moms and our dads? Well, Jesus was using a kind of a figure of speech here and and some shock value. What he meant was that you would love me, the Son of God, you would love Jesus so much that when you the love you have for your spouse or for your mom or dad or for your brother or sister or even your own life would pale in comparison so much to the great love and passion you have for me that it feels like hate when you compare it to the love you have for me, that kind of love for me, or you cannot be my disciple. He goes on there and says that if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross daily. He's talking about sacrifice for him. There's going to be some sacrifices made. And then you get to the bottom of that section of Scripture. I think it's around verse 31, 32, 33, something, somewhere in there. And he says that you have to be willing to give up everything you have or you cannot be my disciple. Now, those three statements from that section of Scripture, and I don't know what your subheading might say there, but mine says cost of discipleship. It's the cost of being a true disciple and follower of Jesus. You're like, Wow. I mean, this is to the crowds. I mean, Jesus' followers are there, but the crowds are following him too. And you're like, what is this? It's a call to be Christ-like. It's a call to holiness, and righteousness. It's a call to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. It's almost as if he's preparing the ones that would follow him for the great commission. Because when you make disciples, sometimes you make sacrifices. And then we get into Luke 15. It's no accident that Luke 15 follows this passage of Luke 14, and yet when you read it, the contrast here is just incredible. But Jesus was laying the foundation to get us back to the heart of God and to understand who God is, what He's about. He does this in Luke 15. He does it in what well, we would call three parables. Actually, if we took the subheadings out here, you would find out this is one parable with three illustrations. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, or the lost son. But We're just going to look at the first seven verses here. Let's read it together this morning. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. What's funny is in the NLT, that verse reads like this. Now the tax collectors and other notorious sinners who were gathering around to hear Jesus, because Jesus loved him some sinners, some lost people. He intentionally built relationships with lost people. Verse two, but the Pharisees, the religious types, the church people and the teachers of the law because they, they were holy and kept the law just perfect. They muttered, this man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. Now, the eats with them was really offensive. I mean, who would have eats with sinners, right? But in Jesus' day, it meant something even more than it does today. It was a sign of affection and intimacy. Like, you, you wouldn't just share a meal with anyone today, you usually have a relationship there. You're wanting to get to know them better, or, or you know, there's some meaning to that meal. And yet, in Jesus' day, that was like that on steroids. It really meant something. There was an association, a special association that happened when you shared a meal with someone, and that's who Jesus was. And he was choosing not to eat with the Pharisees and his church friends. He was choosing to eat with sinners. So not only was he, not only was he was he just hanging out and welcoming them he ate a meal with them verse 3 and then jesus told those church types this parable suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends, his neighbors together. And he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Man, it's such a stark contrast from Luke 14. And yet, this is the heart of God. I wonder when we stand before the judgment seat of heaven someday. And we say to God, Hey, I didn't smoke, drink, cuss, chew, go out, people do. Didn't use your name in vain. Who did you make for disciples? Who is your one that I put in your life that you went after? That you left your comfort and you went after? That's what I'm most concerned about. Are they going to be showing up after you? Will they be here later today? (laughs) About that, I wasn't really comfortable. I, I didn't know what words to say. There's several things we can learn from this passage. In Luke 15, the first one is this. The religious types were more worried about their pure appearance than lost people. Look at verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Do you think they were concerned about the purity of the church? Or were they just concerned about their appearance? And I think if we're honest this morning, sometimes we can look at ourselves and say, you know what, we're much the same way. Now, I don't want you to think for one minute this morning like, hey, purity and righteousness doesn't matter to God. As long as you have a passion for lost people, then that stuff doesn't really matter. No, you can destroy your witness and your testimony through a sinful life. But some people in the church are more concerned about their righteous appearance than they are about lost people going to hell. And you may say, wow, wow, stepping on toes this morning, that's pretty harsh. I think it's true. I'm afraid as a pastor that it's true. And that maybe if you were just honest and, and reflected this morning, this morning, Is your motivation for purity so that you can have a a good testimony for lost people? That you can have a a good story to share of the change that God has made in your life. That you live different than the world. Maybe completely different than the world. And that that somehow testifies to the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Because here were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that muttered about Jesus loving lost people they didn't their motivation for purity wasn't because they loved God. Their motivation for purity is because they love themselves. And and they're one of those Christians who like to strut their stuff in the church. And yet, how many people have you led to Christ? Nothing. Zero. What efforts are you putting to that end right now? What efforts are you making? What conversations are you having? What relationships are you building? Nothing. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that he doesn't really have use for arrogant purity for appearance's sake. Does he care about purity? Absolutely. But there's no way he would say exchange your passion for the lost, for purity in your life. I think sometimes as Christians, we can just get really concerned about our snow-white hands and not being around those dirty sinner types. And yet those are the people Jesus chose to eat with and to fellowship with even more than the Pharisees. More worried about their pure appearance than lost people. May that be something that we never do. And and be be something that we never are as Christians, as Christ followers. Second thing this morning. True disciples leave their comfort zone to pursue their one. They leave the comfort zone. They leave the comfort of the flock. What did he say here? The example here in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost one until he finds it? Following Jesus and doing kingdom work will always make you a little uncomfortable. That's where the faith comes in. That's where the undergirding of the relationship with Jesus Christ comes in. When at the end of yourself, you can't do it in human power. You need Holy Spirit power. You need God-sized power. Because your story and your life and your testimony and your words will not change anyone's salvation, but God's power and spirit will. We're just called to be obedient. We're just called to throw the seed out there. Let God make it grow. God water it, fertilize it, make it grow. We're just to be the seed bearers of the kingdom of God. And sometimes it might make you a little uncomfortable I heard Ken Eidelman say this one time. He said, sadly, some Christians will go a whole lifetime without making another disciple. What an indictment on Christians. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, and some of us, it's time. It's time to figure it out. True disciples will leave the comfort to go after their one. And here's what's unique about this. Each one of us has that one. We are each in a a unique relational circle. You have contact with people that not anyone else has contact with. You might be the only Jesus they're ever going to come into contact with, the only likeness of Christ, the only gospel message they may ever hear. Won't come from me or church or church service. It's going to come from you. To answer the call to the gospel. To share your faith. And as you go along your way, make disciples. Third thing this morning we can get from this passage. is When they find their one, they celebrate it with heaven and with God's people. Did you see the excitement there? Go back to verse 6. It says, then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And in verse 7, it says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, I'm trying to live my life the right way for God. I'm trying to please God in all areas of my life not doing it perfectly but I'm moving that direction we should all be moving that direction there should be some likeness of Christ on the increase in our lives so I'm not doing it perfectly but sometimes we have to step back we have to notice the change that's happened in our lives maybe how far we've come or when you're sharing the gospel with someone how far they have come and you stand back sometimes you're like wow look at the work that God has done here Amazing. But sometimes I'm like, wait, why not celebrate the 99 that stayed in the fold? Why not celebrate the 99 that were righteous? I mean, you're just celebrating the one that got saved. You're celebrating the one that came to to God. But don't lose sight of it. Because the fact is, They'd already been celebrated. Those 99 that had already made a decision for Christ, when they made that decision for Christ, when they were lost and they got found, heaven rejoiced. And so did all the Christians that were around them that were maybe a part of their spiritual walk and their spiritual journey. So don't get caught up and say, oh, you know, God doesn't doesn't care about the righteous people. Don't celebrate righteous people. No, they've already been celebrated. But what's not celebrated in heaven is... This arrogant piousness to make ourselves somehow look better or be better or seem better. Because the most important job we have as Christians is to live out the great commission, to make disciples. Eternal life hangs in the balance. And God says, go and share the good news with everyone. Because my son, Jesus, Jesus died for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And we see the expectation here in Scripture is that found people find people. Found people find people. And Acts 2.38 says that the crowd I was hearing Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, preach. says they were stricken to the heart by the gospel message. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he answered them. He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the forgiveness of sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That word repent, I think sometimes we think, oh yeah, that's what sinners do, lost people do. That they're, they're called to repent. Repent means, you know, we've talked about this before and just recently, it, may, it means literally to change your mind. It means to change your direction in life. If you're going this way in life and you repent, you turn around, and you go a different way in life. And it says that there in Acts 38, hey, what should we do? It says, repent. It says, repent of your sins and be baptized. You need to be repentant of your sins. I think sometimes as Christians, we say, yeah, that's what happened. When I became a Christian, I repented of my sins. It was a one-shot deal. No. We should be repenting of our sins constantly. We should be in a constant state of repentance. And let me challenge you with this today. We're going to come into our time of communion. And hopefully you got those elements when you came in this morning. If you're with us online, hopefully you made those preparations. This is the body and blood of Jesus Christ represented through a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, he said, take these emblems, and I want you to remember the sacrifice I'm about to make. You do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul expands on this later, and he says, so a man should consider where he's at in the faith, basically. a man, You shouldn't take of this in an unworthy manner, but consider yourself. Be reflective of where you're at in life. And I wonder if this morning as we take communion, maybe we need to use the next few moments, church, to repent of apathy toward the Great Commission. Because if you can't right now tell me you're one, you can't tell me that person that's on your heart, that person that you're praying for, that person that you're talking to, you're you're inviting. I think we need to repent of that. We need to change our minds and change our ways and get that in card out and hand it out to somebody this week. And don't make another excuse. But be a Christian. Live out the gospel. And make disciples. Let's pray and then let's take communion together this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fact that we know that Jesus is for everyone. He's for everyone. And because of that, we're called by you to share our faith. And Lord, I imagine most of us in this sanctuary this morning here in the second service most of us would say yeah I'm a Christian but are we living out the great commission our lives are we intentionally relational with someone outside of the church world are we having those gospel conversations are we presenting Jesus as a, as a way to speak into a life in a situation where there's no hope and yet we have the hope of eternal life We have the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of a changed life that is only attainable through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only by your blood. And so God, as we take this communion now and we remember Jesus, his body and his blood in these emblems, Lord, purify us from all unrighteousness. And may this death and resurrection be the motivation we need to make disciples. God, remind us as we take these emblems right now, as we are taking these, that this Jesus that we're remembering right now, he is for everyone. And may that motivate us this week to live out the Great Commission. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would right now, please take the cup and the bread and remember the sacrifice of Jesus.